happy Monday. We are back with Bring the Jury for our 15th episode. <laughs> this is Bring the Jury where we talk about a series of different cases nationwide that are popular and trending. You may have uh, hopped on the Bring the Jury train back when we were covering all things Alec Murdoch, which has now led to the Stephen Smith investigation, which is what we're going to be discussing today. I'm here with Luke and Brian Sheely, the twins that run the Sheely Law Firm here in South Carolina. We're at the Columbia office, but there's also a Charleston location as well, ranging from all things from stop signs to murder, criminal defense, all the way to personal injury. These guys have, can represent you. <laughs> sometimes murdering a stop sign. And sometimes murdering a stop sign. There you go. Um... You can always follow along with us on Instagram, TikTok, um, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn for the intellectuals, Twitter for those of you who like to argue, um, and all the other social medias in between. If you happen to miss any bits of this live podcast, you can always catch the full episode posted the following day, also uploaded to all most streaming platforms. Um, Apple is still... Apple's still pending? Still pending. There's... We wow. just have our application out there and just hoping for them to approve us. Why does Apple hate? So I don't much? know. I had the same problem when I did my podcast. Okay. They're just behind. But anyway, so we're going to go ahead and get started today with Stephen Smith. If you have any questions that you, burning questions that you would like answered, go ahead and drop them in the comments. I see that we have some debate on Fanta flavors. Love to hear it. Uh, we got a Diet Mountain Dew fan in the, in the group. Do the do. Do the do. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Yeah. If you have any questions about Stephen Smith throughout this live broadcast, feel free to drop them. I'll be monitoring TikTok. I'm not just texting while on the job. Um, yeah, so. some people think you... Some people think I'm just texting. Like, like, I'm, I'm just interested in yeah. my own podcast. She's like, that girl's so rude. And there's also a lot of critique of your texting style, which yeah, apparently do a... is uh, advanced or either subpar. I don't, I'm yeah, not sure which, but... Weigh in. But we're just going to go ahead and dive right in with Stephen Smith, maybe just giving a quick overview yeah, for those yeah. of you who aren't familiar. Stephen Smith, um, his body was found on Sandy Run Road near, well, in Hampton, South Carolina, July 7th, 8th, I believe. Um, but his death was ruled a hit and run initially. And after um, Netflix and HBO and all of the listeners across the country um, became so sensationally invested in the Murdoch trial, they likewise became invested in Stephen Smith's death, wondering if it really was a hit and run or if there was something more to be found there. So recently, um, they have... Have they exhumed the body? Yes. Okay, so yes. we're going to talk about that today. So they've exhumed the body. And we've also got a list of new potential suspects. Some of you may be watching thinking that Buster Murdoch may have had something to do with this. Think again, because we've got a long list of suspects and none of them to be Buster, I believe. Right. right. Well, just so setting the table for what's happened so far. So, you know, Sandy Smith, who was Stephen's mom when he was killed in 2015, you know, it was initially labeled a hit and run, and, and we've cut our, one of our last pods, and maybe two pods ago, kind of covered the initial groundwork for that. I mean, he was basically found in the middle of the road, 
close to his home, about two miles away from his disabled vehicle that appeared to be out of gas. Um, his wallet was left in the car. The gas tank opening was kind of open and he was found two miles down the road um, with blunt force trauma injury. And that's just generally means, I mean, a massive head injury. Um, there were no tire marks. There was no shattering of glass. There was no blood spatter. There were, you know, the initial investigation by law enforcement, specifically the highway patrol and in South Carolina, they normally are the experts when it comes to vehicular accidents and vehicular related homicide, they basically got on scene and were noting all the things I just stated. Also things like his shoes were loosely tied and they were still on. And also kind of noting from their experience that his injuries seemed to be pretty specific, not necessarily your normal, I got hit by a large vehicle at a high rate of speed kind of trauma. Um, you know, the pathologist Luke, um, is heavily criticized. I'm, I'm going to leave that to Luke in a second because he, he loves talking about forensics, but I'll just, before we get to that, I'll just say, you know, we've covered the difference between a coroner and a pathologist and a coroner in South Carolina is generally kind of an official, uh, an elected official that is there to deal with bodies, removing them. They do, however, upon input, get to kind of write that death certificate and state the official cause of death. And in 2015, uh, in in Hampton, it was this guy named Eddie Washington, or Ernie Washington, excuse me. And, you know, there's been a lot of coverage of this, and it seems like, you know, some people want to blame Mr. Washington for causing the chaos. Some people want to herald Mr. Washington as the voice of truth early on. But he initially was there on the scene, um, in there on the road with... Uh, local law enforcement and was kind of pointing out in his experience what he believed to be a gunshot wound to Mr. Smith's head. And so, and you know, there's been some supplemental data on him and, and reporting and he, you know, was the coroner. He also owned a funeral home. He had a lot of ex experience looking at, dead looking people. at dead people <laughs> and, and, and kind of understanding generally, you know, hit and run, folks that are coming into, you know, his official duty as coroner and also coming into his funeral home, I imagine. So he is pointing out to law enforcement, check out this bullet wound, Luke. Right. And I was pretty candid about uh, a few podcasts ago about <laughs> what, what kind of weight do we give the coroner's assessment? And I said, zero, hardly any. And it is an elected position, and there's very minimal qualifications for it. It is interesting that he owned a funeral home. So again, like he looks at bodies probably, but he's you know getting them presentable for funerals and other things. There's there's no requirement really to own a funeral home other than you're a business owner and that you meet certain DHEC standards. Um, so of course, again, him him believing that that was a gunshot wound. And getting kind of in law enforcement as well, kind of going, huh, it looks like a gunshot wound, really kind of stirred up this frenzy that the, the pathologist debunked. Um, so actually, a little side note, um, speaking to our Richmond County coroner Rutherford last week on a case involving a body in a somewhat unique circumstance. And she's actually medically trained as like a nurse or a nurse practitioner. So it was kind of 
refreshing to see that and, and knowing that that's, that's her background. So that's pretty cool because she can talk medical and also <laughs> talk, give public statements on regarding investigations and causes of death. So that's a good, good thing. Kudos Richland County electorate um, for electing her in. But um, so, right, that was the start of the chaos. Dr. Fresnel, who was a pathologist, much maligned pathologist in 2015 at MEOC who did the autopsy, just said, no, we've covered it. There's no bullet wound. There's no fragments. There's no projectiles. There's no gunshot residue. There's no glass from a vehicle in Mr. Smith's body. Right. And, now, she, by the way, is now head of MUSC pathology uh, department today, on today's date, um, of Charleston. So she, back then, was a pathologist, and now she's the head. She's training other pathologists. She's, you know, must be well-respected at MUSC. Right, and so that, given the attention of the Alex Murdoch case and the fact that Buster was just loosely thrown into this investigation or this search, understatement. Um, which is an understatement that in the sensationalness and the public appetite for anything Murdoch, that's honestly folks, that's why we're here because again, we've covered this. There's plenty of grieving mothers that don't feel that their loved one's death deaths were you know, adequately investigated or they had sufficient answers. They don't feel like they had justice, but the bottom line is here without this public attention and a, a GoFundMe that really helped Miss Smith generate $125,000, I think, then there just wouldn't be the appetite for it. People aren't going to GoFundMe for Joe Blow's dead child that died you know, 10 years ago of a suspicious kind of cause. They're just not, and otherwise the case just stays dead. So this case is very much alive. We have a very fancy private autopsy that has been done. Well, let's talk about that in just a second. Okay. Um, you know, back back to 2015, though, as Luke said, Dr. Um, Presnell um, basically, you know, much to the highway patrol kind of investigating officer, um, Proctor, you know, he was very much believing this not to be a hit and run, thinking that it was something, you know, non-vehicular related and so you know for all the reasons we stated no no accident type indicators no tire marks from breaking no glass um the way the body was there kind of appeared not to be dragged at all and again we have acute kind of head trauma versus larger body trauma and so and he's again there on the scene with the coroner talking about a bullet wound and so he learns in 2015 from Dr. Presnell that it was just a hit and run. So he is very much, I think at the time, very personally invested in this investigation. And so he, per reports, actually goes and shows up at the pathologist's office, uh, Dr. Presnell, and he's knocking at her door. And I think the quote from him is that he received a very negative react response from her when he was questioning her calling it a hit and run death. Um, he said, well, what, what do you mean? What, there's all these other indicators. And she was basically like, well, that's your job to figure out those things. I'm just here to tell you cause of death. And it's not a homicide. It is a vehicular related hit and run. And he was pressing her some more. And she says, well, the body was found on the road, essentially. Um, 
And then, you know, then the coroner, per this highway patrol investigator, changed his opinion. And again, the coroners very often are relying on the pathologist. They, they may even make kind of an initial impression, but he completely changes his opinion. And this was this very much, I think, aggrieved the highway patrol investigator. And that's clear from his report that he was upset about that and thought that was not the right way to go. And then the case was ultimately kind of investigated in a limited way. And then it was just a, a hit and run, like there are many hit and runs in South Carolina and throughout the country. They did some follow-ups and the case went cold for all these years. And then, you know, with the notoriety of the Murdoch investigation for right or wrong, trying to link link the family to this case. And then that has caused a lot of um, ability for Stevenson's mom to raise money. So yes, now they now we've got a a exhumation. We've got, we've had Stephen Smith's body has been exhumed. Sled already said they believed it's a murder case. They won't say why, <laughs> but they said we we view it as a homicide, and they intertwine homicide and murder. They have right, um, and so that's where we are prior to this exhumation. We also have lots of press announcements announcements from Sandy Smith's attorneys and how they want to give her peace and give her justice and that they're just looking for the truth. And it's just for those viewers that didn't watch our last pod, you know, it is very, very unlikely for sled to typically just reverse course and call something a hit and run. And you know, that, that, that means it could have been an accident. It could have been intentional, but certainly no one's found and it's definitely related to a vehicle in the middle of the road. And then for them to re- reverse course publicly, um, really before they even exhumed the, uh, Mr. Smith's body, um, they just said, it, we're treating this as a murder investigation. We've got lots of different leads, you know, opening up and, it, and it's murder. And so that, that doesn't happen. Um, it, you know, major law enforcement, and this is the biggest law enforcement agency in South Carolina, doesn't just reverse course. I mean, we will see it sometimes in like a cold case investigation where they go out and they're hitting the beat and they got their cold case investigators really putting the pressure on witnesses that maybe they need to re-interview, putting them on a polygraph, breaking them on a polygraph, uh, combined with other DNA analysis. We've seen that happen and they go, yep, my bad. And we've actually defended folks on those types of cases where our client was later charged and they, you know, got a confession out of him and then they're apologizing to the initial defendant's family. But this is really, really early. I mean, this is, I mean, they haven't really released any new information and they don't have any other forensic information and they don't have information about them squeezing anyone else at this point. (laughs) So, I mean, it's pretty kind of big, bold move by Mark Keel and Sled. Yes. I'd love to know what they have. I just think it's, Honestly, uh, really, the Murdoch trial, SLED got very invested. The Attorney General's office got very invested. They did look, they had an egg on their face for several important reasons. So this is kind of solidifies their stance that they got a conviction. And then this was remotely mm-hmm. related, at least by rumor. And if there's anything to do with it, we are 100% going to give justice to Miss Smith, although it appears to have nothing to do with 
with Eddie Murdoch, and I think um, Sandy Smith's lawyers have said as much at this point in public information, so good for them. Mm. But the only reason she has that $125,000 is due to that connection. Right, and back to Erin Presnell, the pathologist. I mean, she's been around for a long time. Um, you know, just some of the reporting that we're looking at here is that she... Um, did the autopsies on the, you know, a manual nine, the, the shooting in, in 2015 of, you know, down in Charleston that Dylan Roof was ultimately convicted of. That was about three weeks prior to this. And the reporting we're looking at talks about, you know, she had intensive autopsies, you know, the weeks leading up to this where she was working long hours and that kind of stuff. You know, it's just kind of thrown in there, but she has done a number of high-profile kind of cases, um, and she's vastly experienced. So it'll be interesting. Right now, she is not giving any public uh, reporting. You know, on these events. I mean, we. You know, she's probably under a lot of scrutiny. There's probably you know anything she does now with such a high press case is only going to come back to bite her. I mean, right now she's authored an opinion in expert opinion and if she gets out and tries to defend herself in the media it's just it's not going to be a good look for her because either she's going to say the same thing and and maybe say it slightly differently um, and then kind of gather scrutiny or she's going to try to defend herself and that's never a good look for a doctor um one of the other things i think is important that kind of at least from some of us reporting as i talked to one of her colleagues that really supports her initial finding, at least per one of her colleagues, is that in her report, it says that the brain stem was separated from Mr. Smith's spinal cord. So to her, that is a, an indication of a, a, a significant amount of whiplash that mm -hmm. would separate your brain stem from your spinal cord, which, which really corroborates kind of a, a motor vehicle collision type impact versus just being hit with a bat or something like that, um, which was one of the theories that investigator Proctor had. So that's again, another pretty crucial piece of medical information, not speculation, which is why she gave the opinion that she did in 2015. So I'm, I mean, I'm on pins and needles. I'm very curious as to what the new pathologist would say down in Florida. Um, and just for the record, the new pathologist, and it's really a team of pathologists and, and assistants, and this is led by Dr. Dan Schultz, and he is the chief pathologist for a, and this is a, a private pathology group called Final Diagnosis. It sounds pretty oh, intense. It's like a and final destination. And he, you know, is being assisted by some, you know, um, a team in his group. He's got um, a forensic anthropologist as well is involved in this. I mean, basically, this is not a normal autopsy where the body is relatively intact enough and, and the, the death is recent enough where they can kind of do their job. I mean, they're going to have to get a forensic anthropologist involved who already is involved. Um, and that is Dr. Heather Walsh Haney who's at Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. And they get, so they got this team and the forensic anthropologist is going to have to, like, like you would think in anthropological terms, kind of 
kind of reconstruct some of the body aspects to assist the, you know, the pathologist. So it's, it's really a specialized field. They've also got part of their team, as a lot of our viewers and listeners will recall from the Murdoch trial, Kenny Kinsey, Lou. Kenny Kinsey. Kenny Kinsey. Um, so he's been hired. Crime scene expert who I uh, did my, my now famous broom recreation <laughs> yes, of, the, of the gun, of the shooting of the shotgun. That's all my family talked about at Easter. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Gosh, if only I had that broom in that courtroom with Dr. Kinsey, we could have had a good old discussion. But he became, not saying he wasn't famous before, but his fame had shot in the stratosphere. And he is now part of this team looking to take leads and and run with it. And, you know, Kinsey was probably the star witness in the, for both sides on the, on the Murdoch trial. I mean, he was intensely intelligent. He was also very charismatic in, very a, folksy. in a folksy country way, which was very, you can't really cross-examine that. I mean, he was, the crowd. he was great. Now, I will say this, Dr. Kinsey, uh, you, he was making fun in the Murdoch trial of all the out-of-state hired experts. And now he has teamed up with some Uh-oh. with some out of state hired experts. Oh, so you know he was making fun of. They're good now. It's okay now. I mean, we'll it's see. Good. We'll see. Um, we got a lot of out of state money hiring out of state experts. <laughs> but we do have a lot of respect for Dr. Kinsey. So it'll be interesting to see how he kind of is involved in this. And he's already making public statements to Court TV that he is considering four or five different scenarios of how Stephen Smith could have died, but he's, you know, very interested in the pathology, the new pathology, to see what that uncovers. Um, And of course, for SLED to really do anything with this new information, it's got to be provided. I imagine that will not be a problem. Um, But so we have a whole host of new experts that are working hard and, you know, they're going to do a couple things. They're going to either say, we cannot determine anything different from what, you know, Dr. Presnell determined. Or they're going to say, yeah, this is what we find her to be incorrect. She was, for whatever reasons at the time, you know, just didn't get it right was stressed or whatever, but we find it to be 180 degree different. We think it was XYZ is the cause of death related, you know, could have been caused in these different reasons. And then we've got, you know, support for a murder charge. Now they still have to find an identity of somebody, but that would then have to be kind of adopted by SLED. And so then SLED's put in this position where they have to not only now have a reverse course on this being a hit and run to to full-on murder investigation, if this hotshot group of pathologists and anthropologists and Dr. Kinsey says, here's how it really went down, SLED would then have to basically say, our own initial state pathologist, who's the head of MUSC, is wrong. And so what that does is it kind of is a built-in way for if anyone ever gets charged in this case, it's a built-in way to impeach the integrity of the investigation. What do I mean by that? Well, <laughs> that's a, a defendant's constitutional right protected by due process and the 14th Amendment to say, hey, they, 
there's fundamentally reasonable doubt in this case because even they, their doctor, their sled agents on scene, thought it was a hit and run, not a murder, uh, non-intentional killing, and they left it in 2015 because guess what? There's nothing to see, and guess what? There's still nothing to see. Um, so that's what a, a lawyer could do. Now, law enforcement doesn't like to be in that position, but they will if the occasion arises. It's uncomfortable. Brian and I once had a very high-profile murder case where at first they charged the husband for the wife's killing, and the friend was a star witness for two trials that the state had with law enforcement putting him up saying that he was an eyewitness to the murder. And then the husband was acquitted, and so they took a fresh set of eyes on it and gave it to some new investigators, kind of a lot like what we're hearing in the papers here about a fresh set of eyes, and went and really uh, turned the screws on the friend, and turns out he confessed to the murder, and now they were charging him even though Objectively, they had all that evidence all along, or subjectively, they were just looking for someone to blame. So we were faced with that trial where we had two trials ahead of us of them blaming someone else. So that was quite an interesting case and something where law enforcement was squirming quite a bit as well. So it, it can happen, but it's not, it is not the ideal setup for any law enforcement agency. No, and just looking at the, you know, the final autopsy that you know in this uh dr schultz dan schultz oh sorry final diagnosis is his company um he does this a lot i mean it seems like he is very accustomed to being retained to come in for failed initial pathology opinions or either people just want another opinion and getting involved i mean it seems like that's kind of his niche um, he's also been featured on um, this, the television series Alcatraz, Search for the Truth, which was produced by the History Channel. So he, this is kind of his jam. I mean, he gets, he's, he's in private practice. He gets, I'm sure, hired all around the country to kind of come in and do the best job. And it's always good when you even name your company name was like the final final say on things so that's either clever marketing or he's just really good i don't know it should be the correct opinion <laughs> the final opinion um so look him up dr dan schultz he's out of florida and we'll see see what he's made of um you know just looking at other developments you know in the stephen smith you know, exhumation. I mean, essentially, um, Sled was there when his body was exhumed. So, you know, they're going to do their own kind of in, in investigative techniques. You know, if they're doing their job right, they've got some of their CSI people taking notes, photographing how it was done. Um, even simple things, you know, in terms of, you know, who, who was on the scene. I mean, typically in a crime scene, there's you know, a log of people that are there. So I'm sure this would have been done in a very secure way and they will have documented it. And, and then if anything comes to this, it'll have to be turned over if anyone ever gets charged. But just, you know, now that SLED is back on the, on the case, so to speak, you know, calling this a murder investigation, they're doing a couple things that they could have done previously. Um, they're, we've got a number of suspects that we'll get to it in a little bit, 
but we've got a couple of things they always had that now they're looking into. I mean, they, they always had Stephen Smith's cell phone. And if you kind of listen to any true crime, you know, docuseries or podcasts or even the Murdoch case, I mean, you can get a lot out of a cell phone. You can get geographical data, location data. You can get text messages, call records. You can get social uh, media history, positioning and rotation of the phone, yeah, yeah. data, step data. So all this stuff that you can do, um, it appears it maybe wasn't done, um, but SLED is now reporting that they they are taking a crack at Stephen's phone. Um, they're able to unlock it. They're also able to unlock a tablet that he had. I think it was lost at one point. Okay. The iPad, they couldn't find it, but yes... Someone asked about that. The iPad, according to this and a few other reports, has been located and is in in their custody, and they're going to also get into that. Yeah, I mean, so this is always standard stuff. I mean, it's and maybe it just didn't happen at the time for whatever reasons, whether it was disinterest or just the hit and run kind of potential accident classification of this death kind of shut it down pretty quickly in terms of sled. I mean, obviously there's a lot of attention on it now, as Luke indicated from a, a media standpoint, there's so much notoriety on this kind of situation and interest in it. And sled is trying to make amends maybe, but they're doing basic stuff. This is investigation 101. They're looking at the phones, looking at who, who's the last person Steven spoke to, who you take a call from. Is there any video evidence that could assist? I mean, obviously, who did he talk to last? We'll get to that in a little bit. Is very key. Um, and so, but they're looking at that, and you can either get into that by someone that knows the password to these devices, and, or you can unlock it, which can be done through various law enforcement techniques. They've got software that helps them crack it. Luke's had cases where they have to send it to the FBI and it takes a year. Yeah. And they're asking, so they've asked us for various passcodes and sometimes we tell them to pound sand and they send it to the CIA or the FBI and do code breaking. So it just depends. But this, like Brian said, it was something they always had, but probably because it was um, ruled more of a vehicular accident, whether intentional or not, you know, very little to say it was intentional at that point they probably just let the case die on the vine and didn't really have a, a, a pressing need to explore the relationships that might be developed within the cell phone and, and laptop they could identify someone who might want him dead the other thing of note in terms of evidence because so really we don't have a whole lot of evidence in terms of new evidence other than they're, they're unlocking the phones one thing that has made the news is that you know often in a in a death case, and certainly in a rape allegation, they'll do a what's commonly referred to as a rape kit, and this is a you know the forensic kind of if it, if someone is living, a nurse will be taking a, a sample, you know, from a sexual assault perspective, looking for DNA, looking for semen, looking for hair samples, and then in a homicide investigation. They'll do it similarly, and you know that is done to look for any kind of biological evidence that can be attributed to anyone. Often there are sexual assaults or even consensual sex acts that can then lead 
to evidence that could help law enforcement figure out an identity of someone that, that obviously was around the victim at the time or right before the time of death. So it's very important stuff. And right now the reporting is that the rape kit for Stephen Smith, so there was one done, has gone missing. Uh-oh. Wait, what? I don't think I knew that. <laughs> has gone missing. Um, so now that sled is back on the case, they're unlocking phones and tablets, they're presumably re-interviewing witnesses, they're looking at all their evidence, and this rape kit has gone missing. And that's not normal. <laughs> no. Um, Luke and I have a case that we'll talk about in a future podcast where we had a rape kit go missing on a murder case where we were asserting it was someone else, someone else that was tied to law enforcement that actually did the killing. And it, and it wasn't missing in that case. It was literally checked out and taken and never returned and then returned without any information about whether it was the individual's actual rape kit or not. So this, this is actually just reported as missing. They can't find it. So in crime scene evidence terminology, this is really bad because evidence stays in the evidence room. And there are evidence custodians that you guys may have seen some movies about, you know, there's like in a police station or a crime lab, there's some undervalued person normally in the basement that has glasses they're behind a cage and they're always in charge of the evidence and people are submitting them things and they're signing for it but they're not checking stuff out unless it's used for court or for further testing so you can't just walk something out stuff's not supposed to go missing it's supposed to be there forever because let's say there's a, a case where someone gets found guilty and then they get exonerated due to DNA evidence or a confession by someone else. And then that person is on trial. You need the case evidence. And the case evidence just can't go away. It can be stored, but it can't just go missing. If it goes missing, then justice can't get done. And it's critical. I, I went and viewed evidence last week uh, in a gun trial just to make sure they had the gun. Because... <laughs> Guess what? If it's like this, they don't have a gun. They don't have a case. So I just wanted to make sure it was there. It was worth my time. And I took our associate down there to go look at the gun. And the gun was there. And the evidence custodian was very, you know, proper and had her stuff together. But you always learn something. And when I saw the gun, I said, it's very dirty. What is it? What is all that? She goes, well, that's where they um, dusted it for prints. Oh, Okay, well, that was a, a fact that had never cropped up in the, in the case itself as an item they tested for, so naturally I wanted to know what the result of that was. And so you always want to go look at the evidence. It's never good if it's gone. Correct. So <laughs> stay tuned for that. Um, we'll have to see if the rib kit turns up after some deep digging by law enforcement, but it is... I mean, this case is, has some age on it, but it's also never been solved um things like this shouldn't go missing there's no real reason why evidence should not be found um that's a problem uh, i watched with my five-year-old big off topic here but kind of topic this weekend uh indiana jones raiders of the lost ark maybe i shouldn't watch that with my five-year-old and the scene where they open the ark and everybody's faces melt off it's probably a little too much 
but yeah, yeah, probably too much. Food. But when you talk about evidence going missing and custodians and keeping all this evidence, the very last scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark is where they have the Americans now have the Ark and it's boxed up, boxed up in this wooden box, and this bureaucrat is just pushing this box in this warehouse full of thousands of boxes that look just like it. And to me, I can imagine that that's somewhere like that is where the Stephen Smith rape kit is. Just in a, well, that, that a mountain of That evidence. scene is, you know, kind of previewed by, well, where's the ark? Who's got it? And it's like, our top people are... Don't worry. Our top people are working on are it. Are working on it. <laughs> well, who's that? Our top people. And then it just shows, like, some bureaucrat, you know, storing it. poor schlup just pushing this box of identical boxes. But So... Last bit on evidence, and you know, we talked about the cell phones, we talked about the missing rape kit, you know, the leftover money from that funded the autopsy, the new autopsy, and Dr. Kinsey and all that team, the, apparently the leftover money, which is approximately $35,000, has been made available to a, um, you know, any kind of tips that lead to an arrest of any the person that you know murdered Stephen Smith so that <laughs> it's an, an award a, a reward so you know we see stuff like this in a lot of our murder cases and so you that's a big chunk of money I mean normally the reward is not that much uh, normally it's like a thousand bucks or fifteen hundred dollars so this is a lot of money to a lot of people um, and I imagine there are thousands <laughs> Tens of thousands of people calling SLED with tips to try to link people or what they've heard to this case because they know if it leads to an arrest, they're going to get $35,000. And so for every legitimate lead that gets written down, well, then now there's an obligation for, for law enforcement to turn that over. And so if someone one day ever gets charged with murder, there's going to be about over a thousand different, you know, reports of people. So what it does is it, and again, it's just a unique case. It's unique in that there's so much coverage of this case. It's unique in the fact that there's an exhumation of a body and a, a top-notch pathology team involved, including Dr. Kinsey. It's unique that rape kits are missing. It's unique that there's a, a very well-thought-up pathologist that's getting ready to get scrutinized heavily kind of even before a warrants ever brought all this stuff is new very unique but now we've got a big reward and all that will have to be made available and what law enforcement is going to do is track down all these leads and some of them will absolutely come to nothing and some of them will be interesting and that'll lead to another phone call and maybe a witness interview and all of that the one that i call in on will come to nothing <laughs> <laughs> So, but bottom line is, is like, if a charge ever comes to anybody related to this case, there's just going to be a lot of built-in exculpatory material because there's going to be leads that pan out that look pretty good, um, along with an initial pathologist report that says this was kind of a, a hit-and-run style death. And that leads us to the leads. The leads. The leads. The suspects. The leads are weak? You're no, weak. you're weak. <laughs> Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, go watch it. So, 
We'll dive in first to this tip that you guys have kind of been mentioning in the comments. Yes, there was a tip phoned in about um, two, at the time, teenage boys, Patrick Wilson and Sean Connolly. I believe he's a celebrity. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, but what's, what I find to be very interesting about that is that that tip, that same tip, was actually sent in years ago. I've got it right here in Proctor's Investigation. We're going to read it right now. I'm going to pull it right up. It was sent in in December of, let's see, go to our thread. It was sent in in December 2015. So this is just months after Stephen Smith's body had been found. I received information from Duncan, Cap Captain Duncan, about an individual, Daryl Williams. He is stating that his son, stepson, Patrick Wilson, told him that Sean Conley struck and killed Stephen Smith. Mr. Williams stated that his son told him this is in confidence and that his son had moved out and that he did not know where he was staying. He could only tell me that Patrick attended some Christian school in Ridgeland. I drove down to Ridgeland and went to Step of Faith School. Patrick Wilson was not a student there. I then found Legacy Uha Baptist Church School. Patrick Wilson is a student there but was not at school today. I then drove to Hampton attempting to locate an address for Patrick. I could not get his stepfather to return my calls. Mr. Williams stated that the reason that he was passing this information on was because Randy Murdoch told him to call. That little bit some people have held on to, um, but also keep in mind at the time, it's very prominent. I guess he was a judge at the time. Anyway, so that tip was sent in in 2015, months after Stephen Smith's body was found. And what came of that? Uh, very little, other than Proctor's attempt to talk to Patrick. He found his school, but he wasn't at school that day, so that was the end of the discussion. And then he did, at least it's not documented, he attempted to find Sean Conley. And they, you know, law enforcement has access to databases, skip trace, all that. They can find addresses and all that if they want. But that, in the entire mate report, that is the one page where it mentions that, um, which seems to be, I mean, it's the only evidence in this entire report that's not just rumor. It's at least a secondhand account where he says, look, my stepson said mm -hmm. Sean Connolly struck and killed Stephen Smith. And they were in the car apparently together at the time. Well, and that's a little unclear, but yeah, it's, so we're seeing some reporting now that says like, oh, these are our potential suspects. But they were always there. But they were always there. They certainly would be there for a hit-and-run investigation just as much or more than any potential murder. Because it doesn't say killed them because he's gay or killed him because they're best friends with a prominent family. They just said hit him with his, with his truck. Um, well, let's talk about regarding these two. So they could have been interviewed. They could have been a lot. Search warrants could have been executed of their vehicles for preservation and processing of their cell phones for location, location mm -hmm. data. If you get these guys cell phones in real time and they're actually right there 
at the same point of Stephen Smith's cell phone pinging at the time of his death, well, golly, you've got a case. And just for a lot of our listeners and viewers, you know, you can have, you can intentionally run someone over with your vehicle and get charged with murder easily. Just your, your vehicle is a weapon or you can be driving down the road when it's dark and just like you accidentally run over a possum or something or an animal or you can hit somebody, but then it's not necessarily criminal unless you're intoxicated or if, unless you fail to render aid. So our hit and run statute in South Carolina, there is a provision hit and run involving death. And so if you hit someone and you kill them and you are, you are aware that you've struck someone and you don't call 911 or stay on the scene and render aid, you just drive off because you're scared, that's a major felony. Mm-hmm. And that is a crime, it's you know, easily prosecuted. Again, you have to have an identity of someone that did this and you would be trying to match it by blood on a vehicle, geolocation data, interview techniques, trying to get them to confess, other people they told about it. So, you know, I think a lot of maybe the media kind of has it that if it was a vehicle related incident that it's not that that's so terrible because clearly it was intentional act well yes it can be intentional even if it was intentionally done of course with a vehicle or if you accidentally hit someone with a vehicle and just failed to cop up to it failed to do the right thing and stay on the scene and let people know what occurred so but then we've got maybe a more sinister suspect. Well, you're right. <laughs> um, yeah, a suspect that I find to be really, really interesting is Mark Bickhard. You're ready to turn Mark in. I was. When I saw that the reward was posted, I was, I was about to dial and put it in. So, <laughs> cash out. Um, Mark Bickhard, we'll just take it to the beginning. Mark Bickhard was, at the time, dating Stephen Smith, and at the time, also 47. He was much older than Stephen. I believe that they found each other. Stephen Smith had um, posted a like sexually explicit Craigslist ad, and that's how they found each other, which can be dangerous. I mean, Craigslist, we've heard time and time, many, many rumors, many different accounts of people who have met dangerous people on Craigslist. Um, So that's how they kind of came to know each other. They were dating, they were in communication. um, And at the time of Stephen Smith's death, they were texting. And I believe even on the phone at one point leading up to when he was struck. Um, Well, once the body was discovered, police, definitely talked to this person multiple times and he gave very inconsistent reports of what he believed to have to have happened um what he was doing etc etc one day after he had given his statement the next day or a few days later he like incessantly was calling the investigator that spoke to him like 13 times unanswered calls seemed very paranoid in my opinion The investigator called him back. They spoke. It just kind of came to nothing. It was a bunch of like bumbled, mumbled jumbo that didn't really make sense. Well, then 
They did get in contact later again, and Mark Bickhart claimed that he had been, he filed a police report that he had been getting harassing phone calls from these random people from the Cayman Islands threatening to do to him what was done to his friend, which is totally bizarre. And then also bizarre again, because then later he was saying that he was on the phone with Stephen and could hear the big mud tires and just like, you know, are you saying that people from the Cayman Islands did this? Are you saying that... Some teenagers did this, just doesn't make sense. A lot of inconsistencies. So taking all that into consideration, what I find to be very interesting is shortly after Stephen Smith's body was found, Mark Bickhart up and left the state of South Carolina and moved to Florida. Gone. Peaced out. Some would call that evidence of flight, which can be used in South Carolina to show guilt under our law. Just saying. Heard it here. But what's even crazier about that is then nine months later, after Stephen Smith's body was found, nine months, um, Mark Bickhart was, wait for it, arrested for assault with a deadly weapon. I would love to know what that deadly weapon was and if it would somehow resemble similar in- injury that Stephen Smith took, but um, that's neither here nor there. And again, Stephen Smith, or not Stephen Smith, Mark Bickhart since then has also moved again and is now, I believe, in Georgia. But that's just my two cents. And, and I have no idea whether Mr. Bickhart has anything to do with this. But what I <laughs> enjoy is pointing out hypocrisy. And, you know, you, these cases are tied together by the Murdoch trial only through insinuation, and we've covered all that ground. But in the Murdoch trial, Alec Murdoch, per sled, the crackpot investigators, the, the husband, that loved one, is always in the circle of suspicion. And it's your job as the suspect to get yourself out of the circle of suspicion. And if you give inconsistent statements or have bizarre behavior where you try to claim that you're a victim, a la roadside shooting, or insert yourself <laughs> into the case by saying that you were on the phone with Stephen Smith saying you heard big mud tires and like it sounded like a truck right. and, and Stephen Smith was concerned that he was being followed. Right. All those things which have very similarities to the exact same behavior that Alec Murdoch mm-hmm. was maligned for, was said that is his evidence of his guilt. He's in the circle and he never got out. He just kept digging a hole in the circle. The same things are occurring with Mr. Burkhart, but he was just pretty much ignored. Um, and just left alone to go away without even a search warrant on his house, a search warrant on his phone. To later get an aggravated assault in a different state. With a deadly weapon. Or maybe just even an in-office interview to kind of look him in the eye and go, all right, tell me again about the last time you saw him. So like... This man that you met on Craigslist. Right, but now, well, now there's just this this interest where we got to get to the bottom and he is still not even discussed as much as other people, uh, such as you know, poor Buster, who had to put out public statements. So I just find that fascinating. I love to point out hypocrisy, and I just think let's just let's just investigate cases and accuse people the same way. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. Let's just do it the same way. The big car. Hopefully, as lawyered up at this point, he, he should be a major point of investigation for SLED. He was a much older man, stranger meeting, off of Craigslist. He's referring to escort 
services and you only yeah. look at them that they're dangerous yep. and kind of inferring like you know he's doing a lot of projecting he's he's texting Stephen Smith like within 30 minutes of his death he's mm-hmm. purporting to hear Stephen call him or he calls him and there's big trucks and he Stephen's feeling concerned about being followed he's fleeing the state shortly mm-hmm. after and getting charged with kind of very similar type crimes. So I'm sure SLED is already taking a hard, hard look at this guy, but um, that seems to be a good point of investigation. But I would be very curious if they could issue a statement about how he got himself out of the circle of suspicion. <laughs> that would help me sleep at night. Correct. <laughs> yeah, so you're totally ready? wild. So Hannah's ready to cash in on, yeah. on so Picard. When, when, yeah. That's, I mean, that's you're officially doing it right now. You're saying, hey, Sled, yes. there's this guy that you had in your crosshairs back in 2015. Go look at him. I'm going to send the link to this podcast as my tip. There you go. There you go. <laughs> but what, yeah. What else? What do we got? What else do we got? I mean, a lot of people were saying that they hadn't heard that yet. Um, but they do find that to be interesting. More questions kind of about the Murdaws and how they were related. But... You know, yes, I believe that Alex Murdoch and Randy did arrive to the scene. And so Luke and I kind of discussed this last or two episodes ago. Um, Like, does that seem suspicious? Perhaps maybe a little weird. Also keeping in mind that this is a very small town, tight-knit community. It sounds like Buster and Steven were in school together. So, you know, and they were personal injury lawyers maybe they were chasing ambulances you don't know but i believe that stephen smith's father was using randy murdoch for some sort of case already and so you know they may have been connected that way someone asked about evidence found at moselle directly related to stephen smith i believe there's nothing and in fact that i think that was like stated that nothing no evidence has connected well, any Murdoch. So Sled to... Sled did make that statement, and whether it was a kind of a PR mistake or whether it's something that actually happened, they're keeping a very tight lid on any evidence taken from Moselle. And honestly, they should. I mean, they shouldn't be leaking anything. They, I mean, if there is real evidence from Moselle and it's leading to different avenues in their investigation they should not be that should be a top classified priority for them to follow up on that and see where it takes them without potentially you know belittling their efforts by talking about it so hopefully if there is anything they're keeping their mouth shut and just doing their jobs but but there is no public knowledge of what that evidence is if there really is evidence from Moselle yeah I think we'll Close here. If y'all have any questions, go ahead and drop them. We'll just kind of talk about maybe next steps, like what this will look like. Obviously, they are coming through the cell phone records, the tablet, which will be very interesting, as we all saw with the Murdoch case. Um, I mean, any more information from the body? or They're going to be forensically kind of dealing with it. So they're going to have it would probably take a lot more time because they've got the anthropologist assisting the pathologist um so probably take more time they're gonna want to get it right and like i said it's either gonna be three things initial pathologist was right initial pathologist is wrong or we just we're still inconclusive but certainly they 
are going to be issuing a very thorough report. And so that will aid law enforcement potentially as they're running up other leads. And then if I were Mr. Bickhart, I would be lawyered up and I'd be in some bunker someplace. Um, get off social media. Get off social media. But he, he would be a strong lead, I think, for law enforcement to be interviewing. And then the question is, is there anything that Dr. Kinsey can run with? Mm-hmm. Are we going to have anything from the autopsy, some speck of hair or a reconstruction, or will there be some lead that he can track down? Let's say if a crime scene is determined that he can go investigate. Let's say they get a lead and say, guess what? It was murder and he was killed elsewhere. That could be right up Dr. Kinsey's wheelhouse. Sure could. Let's talk real quick since we have mentioned Buster a lot. What could Buster do like in his position now with everything that's come out with like the very popular podcast that... Uh, insinuate that he was related to this murder Netflix nods at it I believe the HBO documentary also insinuates like what what kind of ground does Buster have with everything that's been going on I think I think he's drawn a line in the sand with his big statement that he released through his father's attorneys I don't know if they're officially his attorneys saying enough is enough stop defaming me Mm -hmm. because that's where you go if someone without any evidence in the public sphere just puts out baseless accusations they can get sued for defamation and we've seen cases in uh in local media where that i mean i think the biggest one i can think of right now is uh dominion no old what was it the voting machines old dominion they were accused of having bad machines that led to election interference and they just sued the crap out of somebody um so that's where well, it was a news agency Oh yeah, it was. I think it was the Murdochs, maybe, not Murdaws, Murdochs, but the um, Rup- others. Rupert Murdoch. Rupert's right. But I mean, that's that's the threat. Is if you talk loosely without any legal basis, you can get sued. And I think he's basically warning people that mm-hmm. I'm prepared to do this. Leave me alone. Respect my privacy. And so hopefully that works. Um, other than that, you just try to keep your head down and live your life and not create any any new news for any particular reason so but that's that's clearly what he's done with that public statement right well awesome thank you to everyone that tuned in today for our live show again just as a reminder um, you can catch the full episode if you missed any bits it will be uploaded to Spotify Google all of those streaming platforms um, you can watch the full video episode on YouTube and we will share you know, some of our favorite bits um, on our TikTok or Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. So follow us on social media. Also, um, a new feature is you can now donate to Bring the Jury podcast to fuel our frenzy here. Um, you can do that through our donation links that you can find on those social media platforms. It's in the link of every episode, like on Spotify or Google. Um, also on our YouTube page and all of that. So we would love, love a little support. Um, and if you all have any other questions about this case in particular or any other case kind of trending right now, feel free to send us a message. Um, we're happy to discuss that in a later episode. Once again, this was Bring the Jury. Bring the Jury. Bring the Jury. And sadly, I believe we will not have an episode next week. We will miss you all next Monday. 
But strong possibility we will be in our own attempted murder <laughs> trial. So if we are, think of us. Um, if not, Hannah, you could just do it. By yourself. <laughs> you could just, just, I mean, just <laughs> no, 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 wait for no. us. Wait for us. Yeah. No. Anyway, we won't do that. Y'all know what we do. We'll be live, but if if we are, then we'll be working hard for our client. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you all so much.